Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to see everybody here this morning. We're going to start off with James chapter 4 this morning. So just a quick reminder, because it's been a couple of weeks. The last time we were at, uh, we were on chapter 3, right? And the main points or the main things we talked about with chapter 3 were controlling the tongue, in other words, our speech, and heavenly wisdom versus man's wisdom or earthly wisdom or worldly wisdom, however you want to look at that, uh, in that sense. So the reason I mention that is because this is a letter and James is going down through all these points and all these topics, and it's really all something together. The chapter breaks are just things that we have put there to help people, you know, to help people in their studying and things. The chapters and verses are supposed to help, but sometimes they make us forget that this is all one inclusive letter. So just want to mention that. So chapter four, if we look here, um, the summary of this chapter here, James asks his readers to consider the source of wars and fights among themselves. He identifies the problem as their own desire for pleasure. Um, that's in like the first six verses that we go through that. And he counsels them because of these, these problems, these issues to draw near to God and be humble. And I'm just sort of skimming this summary. And uh, then... We have this outline here, which also the source of wars and fights and the translation I have, uh, or at least one, uh, one, another translation is like quarrels and conflicts, you know, so he's talking about within like the congregation, right? So, and then mentions, you know, friendship with the world is enmity with God. And then he talks again about true religion, drawing near to God and submitting to God's will. If we draw near to God, we're going to have to submit to his will to be able to draw near to him anyway. We have to come to him humbly looking to him for our guidance. Now, the main points of this chapter, we're just going to hit that right off the bat. The main points are true religion does not befriend the world. That's going to be in verses 1 through 6. And you can also look at that as pride promotes strife because that is also in that. And then the second point of this chapter, true religion draws near to God, and that's in verses 7 to 17. And humility, you can also look at it as humility cures worldliness. Because when we're humble and we forsake our pride and move away from the world to God, then that will draw us out of the world, being humble and moving to toward God. So let's read the first six verses of James chapter four. Where do wars and fights or quarrels and conflicts come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war or battle. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealous, jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if we start from there and we look at question two, where do our wars and fights or our quarrels and, uh, what do they call it, quarrels and conflicts, where do those come from? Where do they find their origin? From our evil desires, from the things that we want, right? It's selfish or evil. Yes, Pat? I was thinking about when we're children, uh, we don't have a war, but with our siblings, we don't get along sometimes, and that's where it starts. We want what they have. We may not play with it very long and lay it down, but when they come to get it back, we take it. We don't want them to have it. <laughs> that's true. Children, without really meaning to, they show what covetousness can be like. I remember with my siblings, we would want each other's toys sometimes, you know, and it would just be, it would be one of those battles for what we want. I want that, you know, and that's kind of how, yeah, it does come from such a desire that we want what we want. Sometimes that's how we are. So, um, so lusting and coveting for things that we do not have and sometimes for things we can't have. Think about uh, some people in the world today, they want something they cannot have. You can't be, I can't, oh, go ahead, Judy. I, w I was immediately thinking about Russia wanting Ukraine, and just because they wanted it, there's a war on. People right. are dying and suffering, and just because Russia wanted Ukraine, they wanted that property. Yeah, Russia wants that property. How much they really want or if they want it all, I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, Russia wants that property. That is a real-time, present example for whatever reason they want. It's a major war going on. And so that's a major conflict. Right. You know, right. they could have probably solved that problem if they sat down at the table and, and said, uh, we need more food for our country and we're willing to buy some of yours. And we'll even put money into the seed. To, to help you guys grow it, and then we'll buy it from you, we'll buy it back, you know, you just do all the work and we'll buy it. But no, they can't do that. Yeah, I'm not sure what they're after, so if, if it's a food source thing or if it's something else, I, I don't know. Um, somebody said that uh, the Ukraine has very good fertile ground and uh, they have a lot of resources for their food to be grown there, and Russia, you know, pretty desolate, even though they're not that far away. That's what my understanding is. Well, I I have heard that Ukraine does produce a big, is it wheat crop or something like that? And so, I mean, that could be part of what they're after. I don't know if that's all of it or not. I, again, even though I've heard a lot about that, I don't really know all their reasoning. And, well, at one time, wasn't Ukraine part of Russia? Part of the USSR. When they were... Yeah. When they were the Union of Soviet Socialist Republic, yeah. 
part of me says that, that he wants to build part of that back. But that's all a political thing. But yeah, that's, you know, he wants something, though, see. I think part of uh, part of his pride, he wants to build this legacy. But now I'm that's me making assumptions. I do not no, know the man. I think that's probably what it is. God gives us a mind to think about things that are going on around us and to understand why motives of people and people's motives are definitely not scriptural or good. Right. I think we can judge. <coughs> we can judge the actions, right? Even if I don't, like, I'm not Jesus. Jesus would know your motive for everything you did. <laughs> so he had that unfair advantage, you might say. But I, I may not know his motive for sure, but I can still judge the actions. So, yeah. Um, but getting back to our question and all, so, so what is our desire? What are what are we seeking in these instances? Are these you know are these selfish desires or are these godly desires? Because. Selfish. They're selfish, right? Yeah, they're selfish. So, yeah, that's that's our problem is that we get selfish when you get back to a lot of this. The the root problem of a lot of this is is a form of selfishness. All right, so um, let's move on to question three. So why do some not receive what they ask for? Right, because we ask, well, okay, yeah, that's part of it, um, because we ask for the wrong motive, um, we ask amiss that you may spend it, yeah, that we may spend it on our pleasures, that is all for the wrong motive, yeah. So we ask for the wrong reasons, right? Like, Lord, I wish I had a million dollars, that would just make everything so easy, <laughs> you know. So maybe nowadays you need a billion, I don't know, but... You get the idea. Um, so we ask for the wrong reasons, for the wrong things. Or at least when I, when he says because you ask amiss, I think part of it is maybe we ask for the wrong things, but it still all goes back to the same motive. We're still asking for the wrong motive. Um, we don't really need more money or more possessions. You know, we really need to be closer to God. Does anyone have anything else on that? Okay. So, question number four, what does James call those who would be a friend to the world? Enmity. Well, yeah, well, that is enmity, yeah. He's saying that uh, if we're to... To have friendship with the world is to have enmity with God, right? But he calls them adulterers and adulteresses. But that's why, because yes. But uh, oh, well, I was just going to say, but but it, we are if we're allying with the world, if we're becoming worldly, we are making ourselves enemies of God. That's all I was going to say. Well, you could do it with one word, but, you know, more and more in the past, there was that distinction where it, there was a 
male and female for everything. Now, I know we've kind of consolidated a lot of things, and one word probably would suffice. And some translations, I think, only use one word. I think some translation only say, like, adulterers or something to that effect. But, uh, I, you know, I think it depends on the translation you look at. I don't think there's any special meaning there except, did you have something, Matt? I was going to say, um, it's not just the translation. It's, uh, some of the ancient manuscripts either have both of those words or one. But, I mean, either way, it's the same idea. Yeah. The ancient languages would use the masculine to mean generically for everybody. So it's, it's the Old Testament idea, right, of all of the prophets calling Israel an adulteress. Not so much that about their marriage, but their relationship with God, that they were, you know, sort of cheating on God with other idols and gods and these things, right? That's the same idea. We have our double-minded attitude, and it's like being adulterous. Right. So, yeah, and even if it is just whether you use one or both, it's still the same. It is still the same idea that we're, we're not having that correct relationship with God. We're making an idol of something, even ourselves a lot of times, because what we want, again, goes back to selfishness. But if we're getting involved in the world, we're making idols out of things in the world. Yes? I was going to say, you know, when we get married, we, we uh, make a vow to be faithful. And when we break that vow, and it could be, you know, in an adulterous way. Right. And so when we're, we come into the church, when we make the vow through baptism to become a child of God, and be a member of his body, and we do stray away, then I think we become adulterous uh, in sin in that way. Right, because and that is, the com- that is the comparison being made that, uh, like, when you get married, you have a vow to stay um, faithful to that person. When we come to God and we're, you know, baptized, we're saved by the Lord's blood, that is... Uh, for the purpose of we're making a vow to be faithful to God. Uh, it doesn't mean we're perfect, but then when we stray, it is a, akin to uh, being an adulterer in a marriage because we are that bride of the Lord. We're the, in the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ, right? Does anyone have anything else on that? So, question number five, what possible translations for the scripture, let me look at that for a minute, because that's worded strange for me, I'm sorry. Oh, you know what, there was something, you know, in four, in question four, when we look at that, and and it's also in verse four, and he says, being a friend with the world you know, makes us an enemy with God, right? So, why is that so? Because God's a jealous God. He wants us to worship Well, okay, yeah. God is a jealous God. Yes, man. Well, it's probably good to think about what he means by world, too, right? Because, I mean, obviously we want to, to share the gospel and help people in the world. But I think what he means by the world is worldliness, right? Right. Sinfulness and getting caught up in all of that materialism. If that's our God, then we're idolatrous, and that we're trying to also worship the true God, but then we're also over here we're double-minded. Right. So we're we are 
When we make ourselves an enemy of God by getting involved in the world's materialism and thinking along those ways. Um, so who deceives and kind of rules the world and rules that kind of thought and that kind of who's who's pushing that? Satan, Satan right? Yeah. So can we be his friend and still be friends to God? Right. We can't serve two masters, but I mean, even being friends, because you can be a friend. I can be a friend to Matt and still be a friend to Caleb. But I don't think that works out the same when we're talking about Satan and God, right? It goes back to that marriage analogy, right? Yeah. You, you can't be a friend with your wife and, and also this woman and also this well, woman in the same way. <laughs> not in the same way. That's adultery. <laughs> that goes back. That's right. That goes back to the, the marriage and the vows. You can't have your wife and say you're faithful to her if you're off with other women, that sort of thing. So it's the same with the world. We can't get off with other idols and uh, materialism and all those different things and be deceived by the world. All right. That was something I wanted to make sure I mentioned and I almost forgot. But So question number five, there are some different possible translations for the scripture quoted in verse five. And they gave a list here, and so I want to just mention some of these, and then maybe we can discuss that. Um, so in verse 5, the New King James Version says, The Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. Um, in the King James, the original King James, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. And then in the New International Version, the spirit he calls to live in us envies intensely. And then in the New American Standard Bible, he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. So that verse, in a way, could be a little vague or a little confusing. He wants our love and attention. He wants our Right. God wants our love and our attention. And he is jealous, like Pat was saying earlier. He's jealous. He wants our love and attention. And I put on this verse, really, as, as our Father, you know, God wants us to follow him alone. He doesn't want us following other things in the world. Right? He wants to lead us in our life for our betterment. But it is kind of a vague... Uh, the way it's worded for us nowadays, I think, is kind of weird. That's how I should say it. Yes? Uh, my Bible uh, shows, go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, talking about the flood and how um, that transpired because God was upset with the way man was conducting his life. Well, right. Everybody was thinking of wicked only, right? And they were just doing evil things back before the flood, right? Right, and that is, I guess that is an example of uh, not <laughs> of not following God and the trouble you get into. Um, and that shows that he is jealous. He, he wiped everyone out except for Noah and his family, those eight people, um, because they would not follow him or listen to him, right? The world would have descended just into worse and utter chaos, I would imagine is my thought on that, but that's just me thinking about that. Anyway, um, so let's let's move on to question six, which is more of a real question. This was just something 
that they noted and pointed out. So question six, whom does God resist? Right, the proud. He resists the proud. It's pretty plain, pretty simple. So who are who are proud? Or who are the proud? Those that like to put themselves first. Okay, those who like to put themselves first. But yes. Pride comes before fall, proud. Not not like I'm so Caleb's growing up well, but it's arrogance and the right. haughty and puffed up. That it's more of the arrogance, more of the I know what's right. Remember when Saul was doing his own thing and he wouldn't listen to God and he wouldn't ask God because we've been studying that, so that's a fairly decent example from recent studies. Um, it's like that. Arrogant, I know what's best, I know what's right, I don't even ask God, I don't even check God. Yes, Cookie? Would that be like I trouble, I I know, I have, I, I, I. <laughs> That is I trouble, isn't it? Yeah, I know, I have, um, I tell you what, you know, I'll give you a piece of my mind. <laughs> All these crazy things, but yeah, it's very I-centered, yeah. So, um, okay, so that's the proud, those who figure they know it all and they don't need God and they're not asking. Uh, so... To whom does he give more grace then? The humble. The humble. You know, it's hard to be humble in all things. It, it really is. It is hard to be humble in all things. It is hard to be humble in all things. Like, there's definitely a lot of things that are easy to be humble in because I know I don't know them. But sometimes we still, we have our pride. We think, well, I know that or I, you know, we get back to the eye trouble. I, I, I. <laughs> So, um, yeah, it can be difficult. But how do we, how do we become humble? Kind of leads into the next verse, but. Well, first of all, we, we need to know what humility is. And uh, we can see Christ as being a very humble person. He's our example of humility. Right. We can always look at Christ. He is an excellent example of Humility, look at the service that he did, even his disciples on the, the last night there washing their feet, showing that that's a fine example. So if we humble ourselves, now leading into the next verses though, I'm going to go ahead and read James 6 through 17 because I feel like it it ties it together to have verse 6 there. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. 
There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. Oh, sorry. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So this, again, is James talking about some of the things we've already mentioned. But if we look at chap uh, question seven, what counsel does James give to those tempted by the world? What does he tell us to do? Submit to God, call me to God, do godly things, limit You know, whenever we do sin, be sorry for it. Right. Submit to God. And uh, there's actually, yeah, there's a whole list of things, and you hit some of them. Submit to God. Uh, draw near to God. Uh, yeah, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Yes. This chapter reminds me of the song we sing, uh, All of Self and None of Thee, the depression. Well, you know, right. move on to where it's all of Him and none of us. Right. Yeah, when you move to none of me and all of well, I forget the exact wording, but yeah, all of you, yes, right, where we move to. And that's that's what this is talking about. He's, he's talking about uh, submitting to God and drawing near to God. He's also saying, resist the devil, right? Resist the devil and he will flee. But, well, first, let's just start with submit to God. How do we submit to God? Because these are all things we should do, so we need to know how to do them. Whatever we want to do, right? Our inclination is to do whatever we want to do, but God has a plan for us, and we actually submit our lives and follow His plan. Right. We need to submit our lives to God and follow His plan, and not just do what we want to do. We need to actually follow what He is telling us. Well, there's one little part of this. So much of us sometimes we leave out. You got to know what God's plan is. Right. You and have to know what His plan is. God's word. Right. The first thing we should learn when we're baptized, when we're when we first come into the family of God, is that we have to know what's in the Bible. You can't follow His plan or follow His word if you don't know what's there. If you don't study that, read that, or listen to it, however, whatever works for you. I mean, blind people use Braille and listen and whatever. So whatever works for you, as long as you can learn what God says and has in his word, in his plan. So, and then it, then we move to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, how do we do that? Well, when we're tempted to do something wrong, we move away from that. We don't do 
Right. When we're tempted, we, we refuse to do that or we move away from that. Maybe, yeah, go ahead. Combining what Addie just said, I'm thinking about Jesus' temptations that we study. Every time he's quoted scripture. As That's far right. As resisting. And if we don't know scripture, we can't quote it. So we need to know the word and use the word. And that's part of it. Right. Jesus used the word to resist temptation, to, to resist Satan, and to, you know, basically to get rid of him. For a time, knowing we all realize that temptation will always come, but we can resist temptation through the word, through our knowledge of the word, through our understanding. And we can remove temptations from ourselves, from our lives. If we know we are tempted to do certain things, we can remove those things. I mean, easy, good examples are things like, uh, well, like alcohol or, or drugs or anything you may have a problem with. You know, you would remove that. Like if I had, well, okay, smoking. I used to love smoking. I smoked a lot of cigarettes. That was good stuff. But I will tell you, it's not good for you, and it's not a good thing to do. And I had to just remove that. I mean, I did. That's, that's what you have to do. You have to just remove that from your life and say, I'm not going to have that. And I was still fat, too. It didn't matter, I'll tell you. You can smoke all you want. It's not necessarily going to make you thin. It's, go ahead. Years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to go to ladies' class, or ladies' conference, and they were talking about what we're talking about and she had uh, a picture up on the, the table and then she also had a waste basket and uh, she had some cups and the cups had letters along the way and I do you remember what it was Rachel what the words on the cups the letters anyway um, she she had uh, a little jar that had papers in it and she took it out and made negative things in our life that we need to get rid of. And so she threw it in the waistband. I think they were in the picture, that's what they were. And so as she emptied the picture and everything was in the waistband, she said, now that that picture is empty of all the negative things in our lives, we need to put some positive things in. And she had little cups with water in them. And each letter uh, on that cup represented something, I don't know what it was. Like maybe patience was one, and she put she poured that in the picture until she finally had the picture full of positive things. Right. So to learn from that is to get rid of the negative, but when you do that, fill your life up with positive things. Right. So symbolically, she was getting rid of all these negative things from her life by throwing those away, basically, and then putting in, trying to fill that jar up with positive thoughts and positive things and we can think of that as scriptures and things that would help you have the fruits of the spirit patience and everything like that so then we get to some things like uh, cleanse your hand well let's see well we talked about draw near to God right to draw near to God what we need to do there we need to listen to him and and study his word right so cleansing, he talks about also cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. And cleanse your hands is a little different in that that kind of goes with the lament, mourn and weep, right? What are we mourning? Our sin, right? He's talking about 
being sorrowful, being truly repentant and being sorrowful for our sin. And cleansing our hands, how do, we, how do we cleanse ourselves from our sin, from the things we do wrong? We go to the Lord in prayer, right? We go to God, we pray, and uh, the Lord covers us with his blood and, and takes our sin away. But uh, our time here is up for this morning. We'll pick up with question number eight next week. I want to thank you all for your time and your attention.